All right, Romans chapter 2. Last week in chapter 1, Paul um, focuses on the obvious, the obvious sins and kind of sets us up for it. Remember what Paul's purpose is as he writes to the Romans, and that's to bring everybody, no matter where you are or how far along or how far away you are, closer to God. He hasn't planted this church, but he wants to give him solid doctrine. So as we read this, we've got to be careful that we don't read this as if he's chewing us out. Now, he didn't write it with that intent, but you may feel chewed out by the time you're done reading Romans. I know I did. As I study this, I feel like I got chewed out. Um, but that's because I'm guilty. That's the only reason. You get chewed out because you're guilty. And uh, if you were innocent, you'd be like, oh, Paul, that was just brilliant theology, and you'd move on. But instead, you feel like, okay, you know, two verses, an hour on my knees in prayer. Two verses, an hour on my knees in prayer. I remember when, um, oh, who, what was that guy's name? Arizona senator that lost it, uh, John McCain. So funniest thing, I don't like John McCain, don't get me right. I, I got a, I've got a problem with him right now. But when he lost, that was so funny when they asked him, so John, how you sleeping? How you doing? He goes, I'm sleeping like a baby. I sleep for two hours, I wake up and cry. I sleep for two hours, I wake up and cry. I'm like, that was a perfect answer, you know? Disappointed, for sure. That's how I feel when I read Romans. That's how I feel like it. It's, it's a good conviction. It's a, it's, a, it's a powerful conviction. You know, it's not something you can just slough off, and that's how it feels like, two, hour, two, two, two verses and an hour on your knees. And Paul designs it that way. He doesn't want to leave anybody out. And so in the first chapter, we really discussed, first of all, the decline of any civilization is lined out for us, beginning in verse 19 all the way through. Um, that we, It's a slow progression. Uh, it starts off with some compromise, it works its way into sin, and then God gives them over to the lusts of their heart, the desires of their heart, until it's full bore. And he does that on purpose, because he wants to have them, like we talked about last week, is like smoking a pack of cigarettes until you get nauseated, and you never want to smoke another one again. He gives them over to the lusts of their hearts till they're full of their sin, and they want to come back to God. And he's going to discuss that in chapter 2. It's that goodness. It's that goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Okay? So he turns them over, and that's what we left off with. And it was easy through chapter 1 to nod our heads. Mm-hmm. You know? And Paul sort of sets us up for the trap with chapter 2. Because although he took care of the obvious sinners, the heathens, the barbarians out there, he now moves to the Pharisees in chapter 2. He moves to the moralists. And I believe in the center of the United States, that's where we stand. We've got wicked sinners that don't know it because they follow the moral code. And so Paul in chapter 2 here is very very carefully and very artfully going to absolutely destroy their moral superiority. And he has to. Not because he's mean, not because he wants everybody to be ground into the dirt equally. You know, I want you all to feel like slime balls. That is never the intent of God's word. He wants us to all understand that we're guilty. Because if you don't understand that you're guilty, you never get to Christ which is the only answer, you may come just a few inches short of Christ and stick with morality, which will fall short when it comes to standing before God's great white throne judgment. You fall short. You realize it wasn't a scale, it wasn't a, uh, an average, but that you have fallen short of the glory of God, therefore you, you are going to be judged for your sin. 
and the sin that he talks about in chapter 2. And so that's where Paul's heading and taking us in chapter 2 here. He's going to touch the moralists. He's going to touch the Pharisees. He's going to get to that point. And so in verse 1, therefore, what's it there for? Therefore, everything that I've said so far, therefore you are inexcusable. Now this should shock everybody that's reading it. We're, we're all nodding our heads through chapter 1. Well, those people are really bad. And those people really, and you've got to be careful that you don't find yourself doing that. Because he says, therefore you are inexcusable. What do you mean, me? They're inexcusable. Is that what you meant to say? The translators got that wrong. Therefore, they're inexcusable. No, no, no. No, therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge, another condemns yourself or condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, You who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, that means an unrepentant heart, you you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deed, colon. And i gotta, I got to find a break. I'm going to break there if I can. And we'll talk about that in a minute. You're inexcusable, those of you who judge. Now, we have to be clear on this. What kind of judgment is he talking about? He tells us, he tells the Corinthians, you're going to never be judged rightly because you're spiritual. So everybody that looks at you is going to judge you wrong. But you, being spiritual, will be able to judge all things. So wait a minute, which is it, Paul? Are we not supposed to judge or are we supposed to judge? It's a different thing. If what he's saying is you're never supposed to call out anybody for their sin, then Paul is in violation of his very writings here as he writes this letter to the Romans. You see, the the problem with that thought, when you look at someone and say, don't judge me, you mean I'm not supposed to tell you you're doing something wrong? Don't judge me, cop. (laughs) Oh, don't judge me, judge. Don't judge me, whoever it is in authority. Don't judge me, mom. Don't judge me, dad. No, 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 that's not what it means. It means to sentence, to condemnation. We're not supposed to go there. See, because if Paul is guilty of um, if, he, if he's actually saying, I don't want you to ever call anybody out on sin because you're just as bad as they are, then he should have never written a letter. He should have never wrote anything to anybody telling them about any of their problems. That's not what he's talking about. Of course we're supposed to call each other out on our sin. Of course you are. How can you be salt and light to this world if you don't represent a different side? If nothing's ever said, of course you're supposed to. Of course the New Testament was written for our admonition. These things were written for us to learn from. All those Old Testament saints that we read about and all the problems they had, these are written for our admonition. All of this is for us to be admonished. Being admonished isn't fun. Admonished isn't encouraged. It's different. It's encouraged, but it's encouraged to do the right thing by telling you you're doing the wrong thing. That's what admonishment is. So Paul, when he says, therefore you are, an excuse, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, can, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. Are you practicing these things? 
Practice is important. That's an important thing. If you want to be good at basketball, you practice. Good at baseball, you practice. Good at piano, you practice. Are you practicing sin? It gives you the right frame of mind for that. Are you trying to be better at it? Do better at it. Become a better sinner, basically. You never say that out loud. You never say, I'm really working hard at being a good thief. I'm really trying to be a good thief. You know, that was a good lift. I got his wallet, and he barely felt it, but he still felt it. So I'm working on doing a better lift next time. You know, no, 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 no. You don't want to practice sin, and that's what he's talking about. You're practicing these things. So when you point the finger and you're doing the same thing, you've got three fingers pointed back at you. You have to keep that in mind, and that's the theme throughout this. Watch him continue this. For you who judge, practice the same thing, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same? There's always, those are always together, and do the same. You can't be doing it and calling people out on it and saying they're worse than you are, or you're a better person than they are. You can't be that way. The Pharisees always thought that they were above because they knew the law, and they could point it and spot it sin in other people faster than everybody else. And so therefore, because they were able to spot the sin faster, they never pointed the finger at themselves. They never understood that, oh, I do the same thing, you know? And that's the idea behind this. Paul is calling the moralist out. See, we've all got a problem. The whole world is under condemnation because of our sin, singular, not sins. Sins vary from person to person. You may do this, and I don't do that. And you may do that, and I don't do this. It varies, but sin is the same. Do you remember when David got done with the whole Uriah thing? Do you remember Bathsheba, Uriah, the baby, the killing of the... I mean, he's nuts. David just absolutely lost his mind, absolutely lost his way. But do you remember what he said? You and you alone have I sinned against, O Lord. It's always a strange way to put that. When he writes that in the Psalms, when he writes that Psalm, he says, you and you alone have I sinned against, because he understands something. Sin is against God. We all do that sin in different ways. Those are our sins. You may do it through gossip. That's your sin against God. You may do it through stealing. That's your sin against God. You may do it through murder. That's your sin against God. But the sin is still against the Lord. David had such a high value, had made God such a high value, understood the, the perfection that he is, the, the, the majesty, the glory, that everything he did wrong down here, although affected everybody down here and was a sin against them, his sin was against him. That's what was condemning him. That's what was sentencing him to hell. The fact that he was sinning against the true and living God by hurting those around him. And Paul's trying to pull us all under that. Guys, moralist or absolute, utter depravity, you've all sinned, you all sin against God. And so you're all under that same conviction, that need for a Savior under Jesus. So no one's any better, any worse. We're all, the destination is the same. The person who sins against God goes to hell. The person who's forgiven of their sin against God goes to heaven, no matter what the sin is. That's the idea behind it. So be careful about the judgment to condemnation. I'm morally superior to you, is what he's saying. You can't say that. You can't do that. The person who does all these terrible things needs Jesus equally to you, who haven't done all those things but have done some of those things. It's equal. You still need Jesus. 
And so he's calling them out on that. Don't stand back on God's side and judging everybody, saying, look at all those people over there. Boy, it's a good thing you had your son die on the cross for all those folks over there. Paul wants us all on this side of things. And so that's what chapter 2 is all about, putting us all over here, God over here, and we all need to get to where he is through the bridge that he made through Jesus Christ. Okay. Therefore, you are an excusable, O man, whoever you, who are, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. God doesn't judge based off, based off our distance between the sinner and, and ourselves. He judges from a higher truth, his truth. Without that truth, without that baseline, without God's truth, we have no judgment, we have no, we have no ability to judge. It's kind of a, not a deep thought, but it's something you got to grab onto because that's what the world tries to do is, I'm just a little better than that person. It's a pecking order. That's, that's how the unbelievers rank themselves based on the level of depravity. That's how they rank themselves. But if we have God's standard of truth, then we're all under it and we've all been ranked under him and they don't want that. I will not have this man rule over me. And so that's why Paul says this. But you who practice such things, against, and do you think this, O man, you who judge and practice such things, and do the same that you will uh, escape the judgment of God, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? He describes these three things, or lists these three things. I'm going to describe them. The riches of his goodness. What, are his, what is his goodness? Well, that's what we're saying. He hasn't judged the world yet. It's a good thing he hasn't judged the world yet. It's a good thing. Some would say, come Lord Jesus, come. It's time to wipe this slate clean. And in saying so, we have to be careful of our heart that we're not standing on his side of things going, when are you going to clean up this mess? We're the mess makers. We're the mess. See, if he had come in 87, 1987, if he'd come then, like a lot of people were praying for, I'd be in hell right now. I don't know when you got saved, but I'd be in hell right now. So I'm really, really glad he didn't come in 1987. Now, some are saying, come Lord Jesus, come now. Well, some people are going to get saved in July of 2017. So I have to really be appreciative of that. I have to be thankful of the goodness of God that he's giving everybody another day. Tomorrow morning, the sun's going to rise. And that beautiful, was this not a, about a perfect day? And if you didn't get outside, I apologize. I'm sorry that I'm even bringing it up. You got to see it through the fence at Kawasaki. So you did get to see a little bit of it. They let you out away from the music. Just for a, you, get, you even hear that music in there in your office a little bit? Oh, man. I remember that music. Make it stop, you know. Anyway. <laughs> beautiful day today, you know, 70-something, sunny-something, and just no, hardly any wind. It's like, okay, that was a good day. And it was a good day. The sun rose. Everybody took another breath. Everybody that isn't saved got another day, another opportunity, another chance to repent. Maybe this is the day to repent. You've got to see it that way. 
No matter where you stand with Christ, whether you're in Christ now or you're outside of Christ, see that every single day the sun rises and he hasn't come in the clouds is another day for all those people who haven't accepted Christ to receive Christ that day, to truly repent of their sins, not just be remorseful. There's a difference. Remorse stops. Remorse is I'm sorry. Repentance is I want to live for Christ now. Remorse is I'm sorry but that's not enough. Repentance is I'm going to live for Christ from here on out. There's a positive side of that. Repentance is, yes, I'm sorry. It includes remorse, but then follows through with I'm going to live for God now. I'm going to work for him. I'm going to live actively for him. Not just put Jesus in my wallet. I'm a card-carrying Christian, you know. When I get to heaven, I'm going to whip that out and say, I got, I got that baptismal certificate. No, no, no. It's got to be remorse plus, now I'm going to live for Christ. Thanksgiving for what he's done for me. That's what repentance is. Turning from sin and still walking, though, towards God. I've got to do that. I don't despise the goodness of God. The forbearance he puts up with us daily. Still having a conversation. When someone sins against you, what's the first thing you do? Stop talking to them. Stop talking to them sinned against me. I'm mad at you. I want you to know I'm mad at you. That's what we do in marriages, isn't it? Shouldn't. Sinners. But you shouldn't. It's the first thing you do is I'm going to stop. You know what that is? I'm not going to forbear. I'm not going to forbear. I'm going to make sure they know it. That's forbearance. Our God still talks to us. Our God still greets us. Our God still looks us in the eye, looks us face to face, and says, today the day you're going to repent? Is today the day? You're not going to just be remorseful, but repent and walk towards me. That's forbearance. He loves it. The goodness of God is you got another day. The forbearance of God is I'm going to put up with you again today. And I know the long-suffering of God, that's I know tomorrow you're going to be a wicked sinner tomorrow too. But I'm going to suffer long with you. We don't despise that. We shouldn't despise that. Of course we don't. And if we don't despise that for ourselves, the riches, and that is where our riches lie in God's goodness, his forbearance, and long-suffering. If I don't despise that for myself, I certainly shouldn't despise that for others, which causes us to pause with the chapter 1 nodding of the head. Look at those silly sinners. Look at them. Look at them over there. Mm -mm -mm. He wants to catch us. Paul caught us, didn't he? He caught me. Don't despise the riches in your own life and don't despise those riches for other people. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. He leads us to repentance. He doesn't drive us to repentance. I pray that way sometimes. I think I learn to pray that way sometimes. And, and, and you've got to unlearn that, I think. God, send the hounds of heaven after those people. You know, I used to pray that. Send the hounds of heaven. It sounds better than the hounds of hell because you don't want the hounds of hell anywhere. But he said, the hounds of heaven, chase them, drive them like a fox towards the trap, you know. (laughs) Sounds good in prayer circles, you know. God, get them, get a hold of them, grab them by the neck. Eh. That's not what he says. He says the goodness of God leads people to repentance. He leads you to repentance. His goodness does. Someday... That's our prayer, is that someone's eyes would be open to see that sunrise and realize that it's from their Father in heaven who loves them. That forbearance, that ability to, you mean I can talk to him anytime I want to, even though I've done what I've done? is designed by God 
It's his idea. It's his plan. I'm forbearing with you. It says he won't strive with man forever. But I don't, I don't get excited about that verse. I used to. You can get excited about that verse. He's not going to strive with man forever. <laughs> you know, wait a minute. I'm so glad he strived with man until 1989 when I got saved. But he won't. That is true. That's true. But for now, we've got the goodness of God, the forbearance of God, the long-suffering of God. And it's leading people to repentance. It led me to repentance. I wasn't driven to repentance through the law. I wasn't. That's not how I got saved. I knew I was a sinner already. I knew I'd broken the law. I already knew that. No one needed to tell me of the things I've done. I, that conviction was with me all the time. God's, it was just, it's a built-in thing that God's given you. It's written on your hearts. He describes that here. It's written there. It doesn't matter whether you've read the Ten Commandments or not. I knew when I did something wrong. Nobody had to tell me, you know, you did number four today. I didn't know that was the number. All I knew is I did it. But it was his goodness that led me. When I saw him getting nailed to the cross, and yes, I got saved through a video. I'm very visual. When I saw him, the actor, getting nailed to the cross, I was broken. Broken and humbled. Because I saw him who did nothing die for me who did everything. And I was broken. And that's how I got saved. Weeping and sobbing like Marines do. I was broken. It was his goodness that led me to repentance. It's his goodness that's going to lead everybody else to repentance too. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, and tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. I wanted to make it clear. The moralists of the day were the Jews. They had the law. They owned the law. They had it written down. They had memorized it. They didn't keep it. They didn't do it. But they had it. And so they were the moralists. And they will easily spot the Gentiles and made sure they knew they were Gentiles and that they were Jews. We have the law. You don't have the law. We have it. Yeah, but neither of us keep it. But we don't go there. You know, and that's the idea. That's what Paul's saying. Look, you might be first in line for heaven. That's very true, but you're also first in line for wrath. Oh, first in line's first in line. That's the idea behind that. He wants them to know that. He is knocking out from under them the sand that they've been standing on. The wise man builds his house upon the rock, and the rock is not the law, not your nationality. Not your heritage or your lineage. The rock is Jesus Christ. And you build your house upon the rock. Everything else is shifting sands. They had built themselves a house upon the shifting sands of morality. And he's knocking their house down with theology. 
It's not true. Your morality is not going to get you to heaven. Your superiority is not going to get you to heaven because you're not superior to God. And that's the standard. And he brought them to that place. He's got to knock them out, not because he wants to see everybody on their knees, not because he wants everybody ground to powder, but he wants them all at a baseline of a sin which leads to death, and that's sin against God. And now that you're here and you understand that, now you know you need a Savior, Jesus Christ. Now you can truly get saved. You have to take people to the place. We have to be that in, the, in that place where we know we need someone to help us and that we can't help ourselves. He's got to knock that out from under him. That morality isn't going to hold. It's shifting sands. So he did that. Hopefully. Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Both are in trouble. <laughs> Both are in trouble. Putting everybody on a even, even ground, even uh, playing field here. They may not have the law. The Gentiles don't have the law, but they're going to be judged without it. And you who have the law, you're going to be judged with it. See, they thought judgment had passed them because they had the law. They had to get past that mindset. Carrying a Bible, having a baptismal certificate, attending a fellowship, a church, isn't salvation. We do all that because of salvation, because of Jesus, because we want to learn more of him that saved us, not for it. And it's amazing how many people have deceived themselves into thinking that is salvation. I go to church. So? So does Satan. He's in the back row of every church. I carry a Bible. Okay. Is it God's word? Do you obey it? Well, most. Okay, so you don't obey some of God's word. That's sin. That's the idea. Christ. It's Jesus. Salvation is a person. Not a theology, not a thought, not a system. It's him. It's Christ. So he tells him that. Now, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. In other words, you've got a built-in kind of compass. They don't know the law. They didn't go to synagogue every Saturday. They weren't allowed to go to synagogue every Saturday. They were Gentiles. But they knew when it was wrong when they badmouthed their mom. They knew that. How did they know that, Paul's saying? How do they have that? He's trying to get people away from this idea that they, you must tell everybody about the Ten Commandments. Or, you know, I get so tired of that. They know they're sinners. There's nothing wrong with bringing it up once in a while, I guess. That's fine if that's part of the conversation. But they know they're broken. They know they've fallen short of the glory of God. It's built into them. They don't know what to do about it necessarily, and that's why we're here to spread the gospel, the good news. What do I do with this guilt? What do I do with this shame? How do I get past all this? I want to get to heaven. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? I want to be with God. I don't want to be separated from God eternally. What do I do about that? That's where we step in. I've got good news for you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Your morality won't get you there, but Jesus will. What he did at the cross. It's those who do it. 
Those are the ones that are count, counted not guilty. Those who do the law, not those who have the law. Because they don't even have the law. And they sometimes cross, you know, <laughs> sometimes they do the law without knowing it. They do the right thing, you know. And God counts it as doing the right thing. Verse 15, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and, uh, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, Paul says. They're going to be judged by my gospel, my good news. Paul's putting some authority on this. This letter that you're reading, he says, Romans, is the gospel. This letter that you're reading is, although written by my hand, it's my gospel, it's your gospel too. He's letting them know you're not going to get another gospel. This gospel is the gospel. He has to drive that home because there's lots of gospels out there. There's lots of spirits out there. There's lots of Jesuses out there. It's this gospel you're going to be judged by. The one I'm telling you, Paul says, this is the truth. It's hard-hitting. But their conscience is bearing witness. Uh, It's either excusing them or accusing them. And I'm so thankful for that. I really am. I like that. It's nice to have a, a, you know, what they call it, an idiot light on your car. When it tells you to change your oil, when it changes your engines, you know. When that little engine pops up. I mean, every one of us kind of goes, really? I'm not so sure about that. We really do. You know, and you think about getting the black tape out and taking care of the problem, covering up the engine light. See, no problem, right? But we do that with our walk with Jesus sometimes. That engine light goes off, that little warning light in the back of our heart, we're like, I'm just condemning myself. I just got to get rid of this condemnation. There is no condemnation for the that or it's a serious warning light that you're in danger of overheating. You know, not going to hell. Don't get me wrong. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the warning light is meant to let you know you're, you're going the wrong way. It's, it's a bad deal, you know. Don't ignore it. Don't get the tape out. Pay attention to those. T- pay attention to that beautiful warning system that God's given us, our conscience. It lets us know, yeah, that's the right thing to do. And you know it, don't you? This feels right careful. I've got to be careful. So we go by feelings. And when it feels right, just do it. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, when your feel-good moment lines up with God's Word, it's right. When your feel-good moment doesn't line up with God's Word, and I doubt anybody who's a Christian can have those, because if it's the Holy Spirit and it's His conviction, He's not confusing at all about these matters. You feel it. Now, you may have enough times pushed that conviction aside to the where you're numb to it. Yeah. And you do that enough times, you get kind of calloused about that certain thing that God's been convicting you of over and over and over again. But you'll never shake it. Not as a Christian. You'll never shake that. It'll always be there. And eventually, hopefully, the goodness of God will lead you to repentance in that area. As a Christian, even. There's still repentance as Christians. It still needs to turn away from things as Christians. So, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And you know what? There are. 
You've got your sins, but nobody else knows about. No, I don't. <laughs> Liar. You just sinned again. You know, you've got sins that nobody else knows about. God will judge those sins. He's going to deal with those sins. If they're private still, thank God that they're still private. Thank him for that. And then deal with it with him. Talk to him about those things. Lay them out before him. God, I know that you have not exposed this area of my life. And I am so thankful you haven't. Because nobody needs to know about this but you and me. Please forgive me. Not only do I want you to forgive me with this remorse that I have, I want to repent of this sin and now turn it from sin. I want to start walking towards you in this area. I want to move away from the edge where I seem to keep tipping into sin. I keep falling into sin. I want to move as far away from that edge as possible. That's where most people have the problem with habitual sins in their lives. They walk on this edge. Oh, I fell again, Lord. Oh, I fell again. Get away from the edge. I think it's interesting. When we went to the Grand Canyon, they have an entire book about people that have fallen into the canyon. Who buys that book? That's a coffee table book, isn't it? Oh, this is interesting. Oh, my goodness. Photos, you know. Who buys that book? I mean, I looked at it. It was super interesting, though. You're like... Some model, I even remember the story, there's some model who was there, they're going, <laughs> a little further back. And I don't mean to laugh, it's a horrible thing. It's not funny, but it's kind of, who put her on the other side of the railing and said, step back a little further so we can get a better shot? And there she went, oh, she's gone. Wow. Okay, okay, so you've got all these signs up that say, well, stay away from the edge, unstable edge, the cliff's unstable, the rocks may fall. Sure enough. There they are on the other side of the railing going, taking their picture. I'm going to be the addendum to that book. You know, look, number 355 is about on his way over the edge. So as a Christian who keeps falling into sin and has plenty of warning signs out, plenty of warning signs about what's going to happen when you stay on that edge, what do you do? Move away from the edge. Stay away from it. Don't fall anymore. I tried to make light of it. I tried to make it a little humorous with other people's misfortune. That's probably inappropriate. But I want us to learn that. We do that spiritually. We commit spiritual suicide all the time by walking along that edge and can't figure out why I can't get footing with my walk with Jesus. Because you live on the edge. Get away from it. Move away from the edge. Repentance is remorse. I wish I hadn't sinned. You know, that's part of it. The next step is move away from the edge of sin. Stay as close to the shepherd as possible. There's safety in the shadow of your shepherd, Jesus. He's never that close to the edge. He's always in a safe place where there's green grass and still waters. Man, it's not exciting. Excitement leads you to sin. It is exciting. Believe me, the wolves will come. He's going to start beating up wolves all around you. It'll be exciting when you watch God work in that beautiful green pasture where you're safe. Then you let your shepherd, whose rod and staff comfort thee, right? Watch him do battle for you all around you as you work and serve and, and, and live for him. It's exciting, all right? It's just in a different way. You're not licking your wounds afterwards. Move away from the edge. Verse 17, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God 
and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? Absolutely. I bear witness to that. There isn't a time that goes by where I don't study this. Whatever I'm going to be teaching the next Sunday or Wednesday, it isn't rote for me. I don't just go through and say, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I don't know. I'll just figure it out when I get there. No, every time I read this, I'm like, oh, man. You get it for yourself first. You always do, if you're honest. You always do. And I'm a really honest guy. Just ask me. And humble. And you get that stuff, and it comes at you, and you receive it. And he's calling them out on that, saying, look, you call yourselves these things. You're in a, you, 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 uh, you approve the things that are excellent. You can tell everybody what's excellent. You can tell everybody what's not excellent. You, you see everybody that's blind, you're going to lead them. And you're the light that's going to shine in the darkness, absolutely. But understand that when you teach these people, you've got to be teaching yourself at the same time. It's just a natural thing. Do you hear your sermons? I don't give sermons. I'm not a pastor. You do give sermons. You give them to your kids all the time. You give them to your friends. You give them to your coworkers. You give many little sermons. Are you hearing them for yourself also? You know, That's what Paul's calling them out on. You can't just tell everybody what's right and then do everything that's wrong. You've got to be a doer also of what you teach. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the, same of, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. He's calling everybody out on it. None of us here or outside that haven't heard, should feel like we're above Romans. Romans is for me as a pastor who's been pastoring for a long time, you know, who's been saved since 89. It's for me. Every time I read it, it's for me. There I am again. Sometimes, well, hopefully I'm never in chapter one. Sometimes you fall into that in your mind anyway. You might be in chapter one, those obvious wicked sins. A lot of times, chapter, I, don't know, I don't ever escape chapter 2. I don't ever escape it. I, I, I mean, I'm hopeful that someday chapter 2 won't apply. But it does, more often than not. I hope it applies less, maybe. Maybe it's a good way to look at it. I hope I don't fall into that court. Maybe five days out of 365 days, chapter 2 applies. You know, I want to do better. I want to practice righteousness. That's the idea. I don't want to practice sin, but I do want to practice righteousness. Like baseball, like football, like soccer, like swimming, like I don't know what's like like I don't know what what else do you practice, you know, piano. Clarinet if your parents are mean. I had to break the tension a little bit there, I'm sorry. I'm not a clarinet fan, sorry. Kenny G, I just cannot get into Kenny G. You know, the clarinet was designed to mimic the human voice. 
It was designed by, who can tell me, was it Mozart or, uh, or Beethoven? One of those two. It was the deaf guy. Which one was deaf? Beethoven. Beethoven invented the clarinet because it mimicked the human voice. And I was like, man, you could have done a better job because I've heard human voices a lot better than that. But that's the idea behind the clarinet. has nothing to do with tonight. I'm sorry I'm back here. I'm just a <laughs> little rabbit trail there. Well, I'm a renaissance man, okay? I'll give you everything I got, right? Little, little, little wicked jady tonight. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. And we don't want that. Oh, I hate it when I... You don't want to blow your witness. That's what he's saying. That's our, that's our version of that, 2017 vernacular. Don't blow your witness. Don't blow your witness. You know? God gets blasphemed because Gentiles, unsaved people, are just waiting for the Christian to fail, to fall, so that they can blaspheme God. And I don't want to be that. Now, God has got big shoulders, and he'll do that. And I do blow up my witness. And, and, I do bla- and they can blaspheme God because of me sometimes. They, they can. But he never looks at me and says, I'm so sick of you doing that to me. You make me look stupid in front of everybody. That's how I feel inside, but that's not how he does. That's me. That's not how he feels. He's got big shoulders. He's a good father. He puts me under his arm still. He loves me with an everlasting love. He loves you with an everlasting love. He puts his arms around you even though, even though. He's good. He has goodness, forbearance. He's got long-suffering. For circumcision, so really he's focusing on the Jews now, for circumcision is indeed profitable, you bet. Good thing you're circumcised if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. He just called them Gentiles. That's about the dirtiest word you could call somebody who's a Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Well, you're as good as a Gentile. I'm just fighting words. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Well, they'd argue that point. So no, no. Paul's saying yes, absolutely. And he brings it home. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? The Gentiles are going to judge you Jews. Wow. Heavy stuff. Heavy. We don't really get that because we're all Gentiles, you know. And the Gentiles are just like, understand, when this is read, it's a mixed crowd. And in this mixed crowd, at whatever fellowship has started here, there's still a little bit of Jews over here, Gentiles over here, and everybody's okay with that. Everybody's acceptable. Sinners in the back, righteous in the front. I mean, it's still okay. So when they read this, I should reverse it for you, shouldn't I? Sinners in the front row. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, we're in the right spot. We picked the right spot. You did. There's still that. So when this is being read, you know how uncomfortable this is? That the Gentiles are going, he just said we're going to judge those guys over there. And they, you know, and the Jews are going, did he just say they're going to judge us? It would be super uncomfortable in the church right now. And the fact that it's uncomfortable when they're reading this in their fellowship is 
significant. It says that there was a problem. He's just stirred it up. They were fine until they got this letter. But you know what? Here's the thing. I'm going to give the Romans credit. They get righted by this. As God's word properly shared should do. It's supposed to make people closer together. It's supposed to unify. It's supposed to bring people all under the banner of Jesus Christ equally is how God's word is supposed to be shared. And that's what's happening with this book of Romans. As it's shared to this congregation who's divided, Jews over here, Gentiles over here, really, really saved, kind of, sort of saved. That's how it's understood, and we're all okay with that. The Gentiles know they're second-class Christians, and the Jews know we're first-class Too bad you're not like us, but that's okay. We're going to see each other up there. You'll be in the back row, but we're going to be up there too. That's the thought. Everything gets mixed up, and the Gentiles are like, oh, man, I can't believe he just read that. How uncomfortable. I'm not even going to look over there. And the Jews are going, such a blow. What a good blow to land to the ego, you know. Oh, I need God to land some blows with his word gently to my ego. I need it. We all do. As I was studying this, I got a text message from somebody today about a certain thing they were going to write, but they weren't sure it was okay. And they were saying, do you think I should write it this way? Or do you think I should write it this way? And because I had studied chapter two, God's grace was super flowing through me. I said, you know what? You got it right. You got it right. I wasn't super critical. Hey, you know, you know, I'd write it like this if I, all of a sudden, Criticism left me because I was studying chapter 2. It helped me give the right answer at the right time because I was in the right place and my heart was right because I'd read chapter 2. And that's how God's Word is supposed to work in our lives. It's supposed to soften up that hard soil so that we can give people the right answer with the right heart at the right time. It's perfect. So, aren't they going to judge you? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. God is looking at the heart. We know that. We forget that, but God is looking at the heart. He's looking at the intent. Why are you so nice why are you so kind? Is it so that people see you being kind and nice? Or are you nice and kind because God has touched you in such a way that you can't help but be nice and kind? He's looking at that. He's looking at the reason, the, just, the, the, uh, the, the motivation behind all that. Nice of you to join us, Toby. He had to work late tonight. He texts me. He says, I'm going to be working late. Talk about a great guy. Sorry, let another man's lips praise you. He texts me, says, I'm not going to make it there by 7. Do you still want me to get you a soda? I know. Dude. I said, well, if you're not going to be late, what good is it? And that's how I, no, I didn't. didn't. (laughs) Again, chapter 2 was fresh on my mind. I said, man, of course, no, don't get me a soda. I'll get my own. But drive safe, you know. Be careful. And he's here, and we're glad you're here. We're glad you made it. Anyway. That's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for Toby. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We thank you for surrounding us with good brothers and sisters and with Paul, who's so faithful to write the tough letter. He was faithful to write the truth in such a way, though, that it was receivable. 
It was filled with love. It was filled with an understanding of where he stood with you. It was filled with humility. But he wrote the hard things and brought everybody under your son Jesus, which is how we should be. God, help us to say and be and do and walk in such a way that we bring everybody under the banner of Jesus. All, though guilty of sin against you, forgiven through your son Jesus Christ, God. Never never not calling sin, sin for the sake of unity. Paul never does that. He lays it out in chapter 1. But understanding he was fully guilty, as guilty as those in chapter 1, but forgiven. He has good news for himself and for those in chapter 1. So God, thank you. Lord, help us to knock out that morality that's all around us. We want to be moral. We want to be right. We want to walk worthy of the calling, of course. We want to walk in righteousness and practice righteousness, but never trusting in that righteousness, never trusting in that morality to get us any closer to you than what Jesus has already done for us. So we thank you for this beautiful salvation we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for this beautiful salvation that's offered to all who have sinned against you, God. Lord, help us to walk that walk now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.